0: What's up everybody Welcome back to the uncommon podcast I'm your host Noah Weiss and I'm excited to welcome Dr. Matt Hummel who currently is an assistant professor at the University of Cincinnati onto the show today Dr. Hummel how are you
1: I'm great I'm great we've uh, we're what recording this early October The weather is still enjoyable uh, the leaves are turning so we can't really complain too much
0: Yes sir it's beautiful here in Minnesota as well so definitely thankful for that. And Dr. Hummel, you teamed up with Dr. Elizabeth Taylor from Temple University to write a column on Sportico.com about why employees within the college athletic space are fleeing the industry. This is such an important and relevant topic for young people who are desiring to work in sports and specifically college athletics because the challenges of a career in sports can oftentimes be masked by the riches of a sport industry career. So I'd love to start by hearing from you, Dr. Hummel, why you decided to conduct research on the college athletics industry and why it's important for young people desiring to work in sports to be informed on this topic.
1: Yeah, I want to get started by saying thanks, Noah, for inviting me on here to talk about this project and the research that we've we've done. As, as you mentioned, Dr. Taylor's been my longtime collaborator on this. We've been doing this for about five years. Mm. So... Going back to that, we had first met at a conference or actually I think she was applying for a job where I was working at the time and we ended up talking that we were doing a lot of similar research. It would be good to get connected and start working on that. And we ended up looking and realizing that there wasn't a lot of people doing research in what I'd call like human resources within college sport. Mm -hmm. There's lots in the traditional business or management focus areas, but not as much within sport. And we both kind of were already in the college sport context. Now, Liz was a former volleyball player at Division three. I was a former college baseball player at Division II. A thousand years ago, it feels like now. <laughs> um, but it's been something that we've always had passion in career-wise and research-wise. When I first got started doing my PhD, I was very focused on academics. My background was as, as an academic advisor. And so my research was really focused on that academic experience of athletes. What's it like going to school mm-hmm. beyond just being an athlete? And she was doing a lot of looking into um, like female administration or female opportunities within there. She also potentially looked at um, and she's gotten some great research background also within like alcohol awareness, sexual assault concerns, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so we ended up connecting and working a lot into this area. And so it's always been a passion for mine. My, my wife is a f- former college soccer player. Like I college sport is is truly kind of what I do on a day to day basis mm-hmm. for what seems like now a long time.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Dr. Hummel. And it seems too that just the college athletic space has grown exponentially over the past, you know, say thirty years or so. And obviously the the attraction for young people is to to work in this industry, right? Like imagine working at Notre Dame or Auburn or one of these these awesome institutions. And what's often missed is those challenges. And that's why I think this conversation and this research that you and Dr. Taylor did is so valuable, is it really shines light on the challenges that come with Um, A career in college athletics, and I'd love to to follow up with what you said there. If you don't mind sharing, just the research process you guys went through, and why having data on this topic is valuable.
1: Yeah, no, I'm going to go back because I did realize I missed out the young part of, or for young people going in. I think you really hit this on a lot of thinking back when we're younger. We a lot of us have aspirations of making it professionally, but part of that is that you need to take the step and play in college. And you mentioned lots of great universities. You said you're up in Minnesota, like University of Minnesota probably has thousands and thousands, maybe millions of kids in that area that dream of playing football or wrestling or softball or whatever at University of Minnesota. Mm. Or if it's not there, could be Minnesota State, Mankato. It could be Bemidji State. It could mm-hmm. be um, Winona State. It could be a lot of schools. Yeah, And we all, at some point, those dreams end for, for 99.99% of us. And some of that ends up being that the extension is, okay, maybe I won't be an athlete, but I can still be involved, mm-hmm. whether that's on the management side, decision-making side, the coaching side, personnel. Maybe you realize education is your dream, but you can advise athletes. Maybe you're doing fundraising. There's lots of outlets. And mm-hmm. it becomes that, okay... I can't be on the field, but I can still be a part of this. And that ends up being what um, one of the things that we're researching right now and calling, that you're really called to this profession. And I know that probably is relevant to this uh, podcast being religiously based. As you can imagine, calling is based a lot on religion, of feeling that calling to a greater being. Or for some people, just a calling to what they individually feel is what they need to do during their life. Yeah, And sport ends up being a strong connection to that. But the research process, going back, When Liz and I met in 2017, we decided to do this big employee behavior research in 2017. And so we sent a survey out uh, to all Division I athletic department employees. And I can tell you that since we're updating the list right now, I've got over 46,000 names that will be getting Mm. a new survey from us in a couple of weeks. But our survey then probably had around that similar amount. We also probably had another 10,000 D2, 10,000 or so in D3. And so they all got that. And we had to go through the process at the time way back when of figuring out what we wanted to ask them. But mm-hmm. what this project that you're talking about, this Fortico article, was we were going through and we had done another project update in 2019. So just envision the process of I have to go through and find everyone's name mm-hmm. and their email. So that, that way when their survey comes out, it's saying it's addressed specifically to you and it says all the information. So I have to find all that information. Well, the nice thing is I have all that information from 2019 right before COVID happened. And I was like, well, this is great. Now I actually can go in. People are always talking about there's all these people leaving, but no one knows. Well, I have the names yeah. and the emails and I can actually go in now, like starting this past summer and actually find out, for example, like University of Tennessee, I have all the people that were there in 2019. So now all I have to do is go in and see who's still there. Right. And so it seems simple, but there was lots of uh, complex questions yeah. related to that. But that was the kind of the crux of going through this. So I have all the mm-hmm. old data I'm able to include to yeah. what those athletic department staff directories look like now. And then I'm able to see what that turnover rate is.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting as well. You know, I think this is such a, a cool thing to research because it can be hard to have data uh, for this kind of, you know, how do you see – the challenges within the college athletics industry. How do you see how many employees are leaving? The turnover rate, I think it does provide a lot of valuable information. And I'd love to even dive into that. You found that Division I universities have a 48% turnover rate, almost double the corporate and higher education expected turnover rates. And I found it interesting that Power 5 institutions had a lower turnover rate than other D1 universities. What were some takeaways that you and Dr. Taylor had from this data?
1: Yeah, I think in, there's a couple things there of your power 5 schools or your more your aspirational schools. So just like if you're an athlete and you get an offer from Arkansas State, but then you get an offer from University of Arkansas, probably 9 out of 10 of those recruits are going to choose University of Arkansas because right. of the brand, because of they're on TV, because your family rooted for them, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's much stronger associations there. Yeah, But there's also a resource resource question of University of Arkansas is going to have a lot more resources that they can throw into their athletic department. And part of is that they're getting a bigger return on that through TV money, revenue for people showing up, donations than Arkansas State um, or like Northwest Missouri or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to look at as would potentially be in that area that would be comparable. And so it probably... Well, it likely leads to more people thing. Now, another thing we've noticed on here, especially if we, on um, within the across the data set, is football does have a big impact. Mm-hmm. If your football coach gets fired, which as we're recording this, I guess we'll keep this very midwestern centric. But Paul, Paul, Chris was fired at Wisconsin. Yeah, it likely is going to mean that whenever Wisconsin hires their next coach, that there's going to be lots of other people in the football coaching staff that will let go. Mm, yeah. if they hire someone internal like Jim Leonard. Maybe that means a decent chunk of people come back, but if they end up hiring someone outside, then it could mean that the entire staff is gone and not a single person's back, which again, you're talking about 50, 60, 70 people that might completely have to find new jobs and new people. that will be coming into university of Wisconsin. So football can have a big ripple effect, even into the administration side. Um, for that. But I don't want to spoil too much of this stuff. But those are the big things that we know is Power 5, hmm. more likely to stay, more resources, more people are willing to stick it out. Yeah. Or maybe at the lower level, we're thinking that those people are looking for more Power 5 jobs, but then less resources might mean more turnover.
0: Hmm. Absolutely. And I think what's unique as well about college athletics is it, it's almost like a ladder of, you, know, you start at the bottom, you climb to the top. And that's why these Power 5 institutions have more stability is, is that is the top, right? And, and there isn't that um, reality of, oh, well, I'm at an Arkansas state and I want to make it to the SEC or I want to make it to a Power Five. Um, so it is interesting. And, and I think it's unlike a lot of industries. You know, you think about, you know, per se medicine, right? And if you're at a certain hospital, you're maybe not quite looking to bounce to another better quote unquote hospital. That, that's not quite as much the mindset, In that (laughs) industry, but it's so much is in, in college athletics. So it's very unique, um, in that way. And, and kind of a follow up question here. certainly your, your findings found a higher turnover rate in college athletics as a whole than really any other industry. And I'd love to hear this. What are a few other reasons uh, why that might be the case?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, part of it is that I think the work environment within college sport is, it can be very toxic, mm-hmm. and and this goes to another finding that we have. We found that a lot of the top administration folks are still there; they they haven't left. Like I bet if I looked at, it's a little bit tricky in athletics because the department titles can be really wishy washy, but. Mm-hmm. If you have an associate AD or above, which would be like associate ADs, deputy ADs, executive deputy ADs or whatever. Yeah. And then the athletic director, I bet a lot of those people haven't changed. Mm-hmm. And I bet that retention rate is probably really high. And part of that is that those people have reached the mountaintop and they're they're being well compensated for their efforts. Mm-hmm. And they also have quite a few people that they can delineate tasks to below them. That maybe the middle management, lower task people aren't, and they're still grinding. They're still trying to make it work. And they're willing to take on more and more tasks because they view it and they're probably not wrong in that this is what it takes to move up. Yeah. And what you end up doing is you have a huge turnover rate at that lower level because those people are being asked to work 70, 80 hours maybe at their peak, maybe more. And their pay is very low. And passion can take you pretty far, but at some point, we all have needs that need to be mm, accomplished and absolutely, it means that you're giving up a lot less at home with your family or maybe you're putting, we had people respond to our other surveys saying that they were deciding no longer to be married or, could sue or pursue a partner because of how much their time was being committed to athletics. Wow. Or they told us that, Hey, once they do find someone that they're going to leave the industry, cause it's not conducive to being successful there. Mm. And so it ends up being that you have to give trade offs. It's like, Hey, I want to pursue this career. Yeah. I'm still grinding my way to the top. I'm not there. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to do this until maybe I find other something that's more achievable. Or you may just realize you get burnout. Yeah. And then you pursue a different career option. Like, hey, you know, because we even I had someone reach out and said that they've they left being in an assistant AD at a D2 school and started working third shift at Lowe's because they were getting rep, like comparable pay, but their hours were constant. And it's like, man, that's wow. That's a that's a shock to the system that someone's doing third shift mm. anything right instead of athletics, and they actually view that as a healthier work environment. And so wow. these are the challenges that college sports going to have to accomplish now. Mm. The supply is always strong, like there's always going to be eager people. Certainly. But at some point, you're gonna have less and less people that are going into the field, which leads to one article we talk about is like a brain drain that we're having. Mm our best people are leaving because they're finding more amenable fields that provide similar pay, but they're also going to go there. And you're losing those talented folks. Like we're seeing a lot of women that are getting started in college sport and we're seeing less and less women move up the ladder. And it's mm-hmm. probably because of the pressure put on the field and social norms of having kids. And how can you do that mm-hmm. physically yeah. give, have kids and then also try to continue working. So there are lots of negative consequences that could come down or are, are, mm-hmm. or are already starting to come down at college sport as an industry.
0: Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I think some of those challenges are so, it's so hard to even hear that, right. Of like, wow, like somebody would prefer the third shift to that example. That's just like, it's mind blowing. Right. But just to some reality, it does shed light on how real these challenges are and I'd love to even follow up with this question. You did mention some, you know, the individual that went to the third shift was at the D2 level. Is there a difference in turnover rate from the Division I universities to the D2, D3, or NAIA universities?
1: Yeah, there is a difference. We noticed a big difference. The biggest difference was at D2, where D2 is mm-hmm. actually at a much higher Risk of people mm. of losing their employees, and yeah. so we talk about this as attrition rate or retention rate. But they have a higher attrition rate; they're losing more employees mm. on average in D three and D two. D three actually saw a little bit higher. Um, and I would make an argument of D three is kind of more niche. There's lots of them, yeah. um, but they're f- traditionally in more rural settings. People mm. that are choosing to live in these rural settings are probably less likely to move because they're comfortable working within that town. That could be a town they grew up in, or they have affiliation with the school. Mm. That's a little bit different. And there's also less pressure. So you aren't at risk of getting fired where I get it at the D one or power five. It's kind of like, Hey, um, we'll use PJ Fleck as an example, like PJ, could have a really successful year this year and he gets a lucrative contract extension. But maybe he has two bad years after that and he could get fired. Mm-hmm. Where at D three, you don't have that pressure. If you have a great year, they're awesome. Like that's great. Right. You're probably not going to get a contract extension, but if you have a couple bad years, you're not going to get fired either. And right. so that's a stability can make a big difference. And I think we're Very seeing true. that at D three.
0: Yeah. D
1: two could be just a pinch of resources that mm-hmm. they don't have as quite as much stability at D3, but maybe their employees are looking more aspirationally about moving into D1 than D3 people are, mm. but the resources are also limited. And yeah. we're seeing and wondering, maybe D2 d- schools in general had a choice to make on whether to provide more resources to keep athletics afloat or not, and they decided against it. And now you're seeing that yeah, their in- athletic departments in general, employee-wise, saw less numbers because they started cutting back there which means people got let go mm. and now they're probably still recovering but they aren't replacing positions that they lost
0: yeah Well, it's so interesting as well you kind of mentioned that how d3 is very niche in that way and it's almost if you are a young person trying to get into this college athletic space you, you really got to think about what do i want right like do I want to be involved in a university that may be at a at, in a rural town, smaller sports, but it's still there, and I can still be a part of that? And I've even you know met individuals that are at the D3 level who have a more consistent work life balance, right? It's it's less pressure in that way, and so for some that's even a a great route to take because you have that that option, right? It's not quite as um, intense as those those Division One universities, but the reality is, is so many young people. Who get get into this picture and imagine the you know Auburn or Notre Dame or Alabama, and and it can be difficult to let go of that dream. So, um, to your point, I, I can I can definitely see where those findings make a lot of sense. Um, and, and a lot of this for young people is just processing, what do you want, you know, and you have to weigh the checks and balances of of the positives and negatives there.
1: Yeah, I I think there's a big decision making difference between someone that's pursuing a career as a division one head coach Mm -hmm. or division one administrator than there is at the D three administration. Right. I think you understand going in that if you're pursuing the D three model, that your chance of being so successful that you will aspire and become successful at the very tippy top of division one is very unlikely. Like Lance Leipold is being discussed a lot right now within football because Kansas is doing great. Yeah. And, but he did, he was one of the extremely few where he was at university of Wisconsin, whitewater and football and they were like extremely successful to the point where University of Buffalo hired him mm-hmm. and he was successful there. And now he's at Kansas. And those are very rare. And I think most yeah. of those people, if they wanted to become the head coach at Kansas, would be working as a student manager within Kansas. Like you're mm-hmm. electing to choose that greater yeah. turnover rate. Because of the carrot of Lance Lightpool being paid multi millions of dollars, where I'm sure at Wisconsin Whitewater, right, he probably was making about a hundred grand or a hundred and twenty five grand or so, which is great Mm. in Whitewater, Wisconsin, but like nowhere near whatever he's making in in Mm -hmm. Lawrence, absolutely,
0: yeah. And to your point, it is so challenging, right? That is so rare, you never see that. Um, and, and to make that jump, it's very difficult, but. You know, obviously, this is a problem across NCAA. Um, it's it's not a it's not a secret, and especially with your research, it's obvious that this is a growing problem. I'm curious to hear what changes do you think need to be made in universities to improve this this turnover rate.
1: Ooh, oh man, uh, where to start? Um, I will say that I think the big thing is you need to view your employees as your assets. Mm. I think. A lot of these athletic departments look at their employees as this endless supply. I mentioned this earlier. There always will be eager replacements. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of athletic departments look at their assets are their head football coach, their head basketball coach for men's side, and then each of them has some specialty programs like volleyball, baseball, depending on what it is. And those are really the only assets they look at. It And then they're very top administrators. And then everyone else has kind of looked at it as this replaceable mm-hmm flippable, non-tangible thing. And I think that's the problem is you end up having to constantly lose these folks. As I mentioned, we are already over, we're in that like 50% range for division one turnover that you're constantly having to find new people. It costs money to search. You also lose institutional knowledge when people leave. And it's not just about the six-month employee leaving. It's it's about the five-year employee Mm. leaving that's running ticket sales or That's directing your marketing, that you lose those people and they leave and you end up hiring someone else and you have to go through this huge learning curve of teaching them what's going on. And so Mm. there's an institutional knowledge. There's also value in retaining people and keeping people satisfied and what that can provide you in the long term for your organization. But the other thing is, is I think they need to be seeking out ways to improve the lives of their employees and... We have a paper that's under review, which will be, I think, really exciting on remote work with a lot of us having to do remote work. Like we're doing this over Zoom right now. Zoom being a great tool. A lot of us have had to get used to over the last couple of years. Yeah. Athletics has always been in person. They've yeah. rarely provided any flexibility until they had to through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's forced them to accept some trade-offs that ends up helping them. Like, yeah. We have data showing that employees found out that they were able to get their exact same responsibilities done, but also spend more time at family. And so mm-hmm. I don't, I want to go too much into that. Cause I know this isn't your, we're focusing more on this other paper, but we did find that we found that their work family conflict, the conflict mm-hmm. from work affecting family yeah. went way down, way wow. down under remote work, but oh. their family work conflict stayed the same, which means to me that they were prioritizing still all their family stuff, family wasn't affected, but they're still getting all their work done. And so that was a big benefit that we found on that. And so athletics is going to have to think about what are these tools that we can use to help our employees? Remote work Hmm. is one of them. It's an easy one that a lot of people are set up to do. And so it's a question of, you don't have to make it pure like 100% remote, but can we do hybrid? Can we keep people at home? But if we have a late game, like Minnesota's going to be playing in Michigan State and People, a lot of people go to the game but don't come back until late. Mm -hmm. It's like, how about we do a late start on Monday for all the people that were gone and lost time during the weekend? Yeah. Um, Like those are just little low hanging fruit. Right. That's not going to affect you on that. And um, the big thing is just tearing down some of these barriers or constructs of we need to see you in the office. We need to know Mm -hmm. you're grinding really hard. Yeah. Because we just know that those extra hours aren't providing any benefit, even though athletics thinks it does or they think that mantra is beneficial for them. It's just not. And so that's the biggest thing is yeah. think of your employees as assets. How can we support them? And then finding these little resources here and there that can keep people satisfied and also improve their their experience, their life experience outside of work. Yeah.
0: I, I love that. You know, and I think too, to your last point about that that mantra, right, that so many athletic departments have of the more your face is showing in the office, the longer you're there, the more hours you put in. Equals the better job as you're doing. And, and that doesn't always align. That's not always the truth. Um, and, and I think, on top of that, there's so many of those little low hanging fruit things that athletics can do, right? Um, so I think that that's an awesome uh, view on it of, of you know, there's got to be these changes. And I think this research is so valuable because not a lot of people understand what the challenges are that individuals in college athletics are facing nor do they understand how serious this turnover rate and individuals leaving really is. And and I think it does impact athletic departments um, when you're constantly changing people and there's, and there's a carousel of individuals. I think there's a lot of negatives to that. So um, I, the hope is that these changes do occur. Um, but, you know, to your point, there's a lot of, a lot of things that can't happen.
1: Yeah. And uh, to kind of wrap that up note, because that was great of, It is. You just kind of have to chip away at this stuff. We're not expecting that this article is going to come out and everyone's going to act like they've seen the light and we're going to to go through massive culture change, widespread and all that stuff. But it is become you're just chipping away like this is something out there. We get people discussing. We get enough administrators that see that we got emails from even head ADs thanking us for putting this out. And again, it's this little maybe you get a couple university athletic departments that move the needle a little bit. Yeah, And then you put another article showing that work hours aren't beneficial at all or are slightly negative. And then you put out this remote work benefit. And so suddenly maybe everyone finds something that they connect with and that moves the needle just enough to make a big difference on these employees' lives. That's the hope, at least. Yeah,
0: yeah certainly. And I think, too, you know, culture shift often comes from this kind of stuff, right? Research and, and hearing the voices of the employees themselves. So I think it's most definitely a step in the right direction. And lastly, Dr. Hummel, I'd love to hear from you. If you have any advice that you'd want to give young people who are hoping to have successful careers in this industry, I'd love to hear what that advice is.
1: Yeah, lots of different things here. One would be if internship if you can or intern. It um, mm-hmm. can be expensive. I get it. You're having to do something for free and it costs you money to live. So yeah, if you right. can find a paid internship, even better, Yeah. but if you can afford it or swing it, do that. And the mm-hmm. big thing is try in different athletic departments, try different experiences. Cause I will say there's going to be athletic departments out there that have good culture that mm-hmm. support you in different Absolutely. ways. Absolutely. And then others that are terrible. We've seen on the results, like we see people that really lambast certain experiences they've had, or we actually have had a lot of people respond saying like, yeah, once I moved to here and I have the supportive supervisor, it's been a world of difference. And so that can be mm-hmm. the big difference. And so- yeah. Find someone that's supportive for you as a supervisor. It's going to help you flourish, but also take advantage of the field in the sense of there seems to be an acceptance of moving around a lot mm. that can be to your advantage, find a situation that works well for you and then hold on. That's yeah. the job to have. Certainly. And it's easy to say that you might get fired and like, obviously no going in that <laughs> this can be very cutthroat, Yeah. but yeah, seek out culture, work experiences. that are going to be healthy for you and not just healthy for you now, but in the future. As a young person, I will say your life will drastically change every mm-hmm. 5, 10 years. And yeah. so you'll realize maybe what works great for you now might not be what works great right for you in five years. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Like go through those transitions. It's okay. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is when in the future you become a decision maker and you reach the pinnacle of this field, be that difference maker for the next person. Mm-hmm. See the things that aren't healthy for all of your employees in general and find a way to change that. And whether that's things that we're pointing out or the experiences that you're having in self are going to be the big difference makers. So those are the things to consider, or at least the advice I'd give for young folks.
0: Yeah. So well said. I love that last point you made too. I really think this generation of young people coming up in the sport industry is, is really going to shift the culture a lot. Um, And I think it starts with honest conversations, you know, taking research like this seriously. And then once you get to a point of leadership to apply the things that helped you to, other employees that, that are under you. So, as so well said, I think the, the giving back mindset of, of being those that difference maker is, is great. Um, and I think the internship part as well, right. Of it's good to try different athletic departments to see, Hey, what is it like, you know, D one, right. Or what is it like D three and just giving those things a try and seeing what fits you best and what gives you the most enjoyment. It's well said. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, Absolutely. And Dr. Hummel, thank you for your time today and sharing your thoughts on this topic. It's so interesting to talk through it. And uh, certainly I hope it impacts um, all of our listeners.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate the invitation for anyone that wants to follow me. You can find me on Twitter. I think it's what, at Matt underscore Hummel, H-U-M-L. Um, if not, just type in my name and you'll you'll find me as I'll pop up. And you can also shoot me an email. Yeah, this is literally what I do for a living this is my research is fully on this on this topic and so I'd love to hear from any of you if you have experiences that you think are worth sharing.
0: If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at UncommonSG.org. That's UncommonSG.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every Thursday at midnight Eastern Time as well as the full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next week.